Good morning, DJ and PK. It's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Welcome in on a Tuesday morning. Today, we got some uh, football, high school and college coming up, and we also have life in the bubble with a couple of former Salt Lake Tribune writers. Kyle Goon, who used to write for the Trib and is now at the Orange County Register calling the, covering the Lakers. He will join us at 730. Aaron Falk, who used to be with the Trib and is now with the Utah Jazz, will join us at 9 o'clock. So we'll get life in the bubble and those guys' thoughts as we uh, as we move towards the restart of the NBA season with the Jazz playing Thursday night against Phoenix in a scrimmage that you will be able to watch on TV. They'll play Thursday, Saturday, Monday, and then it'll be off to the uh, eight regular season games. Also, football, both high school and college with Riley Jensen. There is a trend. Riley first told me about this probably three weeks ago. I think we talked a little more than a week ago, maybe 10 days ago, again about it, and... Uh, it just it just keeps accelerating here. The southern section, which is most of Southern California, actually, it's kind of uh, the whole coast: uh, San Luis Obispo, Santa Barbara, Ventura. Um, it's everything except the LA City Schools and and San Diego County, all the way through Southern California, all of Riverside, uh, Ventura County, Santa Barbara County, um, Riverside, San Bernardino, Orange County, a big chunk of LA County, just not the LA City Schools. They've got their own section, but there are hundreds and hundreds of schools. They're not going to be playing sports in the fall, and so some of the better football players want college scholarships. Are going out of state to play and they kind of saw this coming they saw where the numbers were trending kind of knew what schools would do pushing sports back until at least the first of the year and then we'll see what they do then if they play football in the spring or just skip a year of it uh so we're seeing players come to utah and they're going to other states too but a lot of them are coming to utah and they're mostly going to the top six to eight ten six eight ten schools in the state at least that's what they were doing when i was talking to riley about this about 10 days ago so we'll talk with riley jensen at eight o'clock uh, how's this going to impact the high school season here will some of these kids if they live here for a year be more open to coming to one of the in-state schools depending on their talent level depending on uh, scholarships available at the position they play and how the coaches project them here might they end up with the Utes, the cougars or the aggies uh, we'll talk with riley about that right now though we are going to talk about the utah jazz quinn snyder met with the media here's the jazz head coach as they get ready for thursday scrimmage thank you good to see you, see you uh, so you're just a few days away now from the first of these uh these scrimmages that you're going to be having what are you looking for specifically out of this out of this first one is there is there anything specific you're trying to see in terms of the progress that you've made since you've been in orlando yeah i think similar to when we got here um, we felt like we needed to play a lot, um, whether it be scrimmage or, you know, up and down um, on both ends, just to kind of get a feel for um, who our group is and, and how they interact. Um, as that's gone forward, um, we've been able to focus on, you know, habits more and some situations. So I think in this game, um, I, th- I think we, we need to do the same, kind of the same philosophy as far as just playing um, playing the way that we play defending the way that we want to defend and um, there'll be some game plan situations that will present themselves to us Um, and the other thing is you know we want to be smart about how much we play our guys and um, try to get out of it as much as we can but also you know stay healthy and and try to stay fresh while still really competing thanks you all right next question will be from ben anderson ksl sports 
Hey, Quinn, have you noticed now a few weeks in, if there's anything you can't do, do you not have access to something that you can traditionally do and practice back here in Salt Lake? No, I, I think, you know, the, the NBA has done a terrific job. And each day you feel more and more confident, more and more comfortable in the situation. You know, the way their courts are structured, you know, there, there's only four baskets. Um, so there are a few things that that um, you have to combine some things and different, you know, you just don't have as much space, um, which can impact in, in a number of ways. But, you know, we're used to that um, in shoot arounds and things during the year, you only have two baskets. So it's just a little bit of an adjustment in that case, but you know, the facilities are great. And, um, you know, watching film is a little bit harder um, given kind of more limited space, but we even have access to, you know, to TVs and, and stuff where we can do that on the court as well. So, you know, I think by and large, it's a, a really, really good setup. And like I said, I think a lot of effort and energy has gone in um, to looking at all those details. Thank you. Okay, next question, Ryan Miller, KSL. Hey, Quinn, I'm just curious, how do you think um, some players re will react to playing without a crowd, maybe less energized, more energized? I don't know. Just uh, any thoughts on that subject? You know, I, I think there'll be things that, that we can do during the game um, that will enhance the experience in a lot of ways. Uh, without a crowd, you know, certainly it's going to be a little different. Um, but at the same time, you know, I, I think – players in our league love to play they love to compete and it's not like there there won't be stuff on the line that um that motivates you the, the same way um in a typical setting um but again to the degree that you know your crowd particularly at home um gives you a lift uh, can help provide momentum and energy in situations even when you're tired um that that's obviously not going to be there so you've got to find other ways to accomplish that Okay, next question, Sarah Todd, Deseret News. Quinn, have you thought at all about whether or not you're going to go to the other team's games or whether or not um, any of your players are going to go and if there's value or just entertainment in that? Well, that, you know, as far as the players go, that that's something that, that's up to them. And certainly, um, you know, I think there's – not only some entertainment value as far as being able to get out of the hotels and, you know, and do something that's a little bit different um, for us coaches, you know, I think, you know, there's certainly a scouting opportunity, uh, but I don't know, you know, to commit ahead of time to how many games or exactly, you know, what we're going to do. I, I think as people get more comfortable um, with the environment through the scrimmages, you know, that'll become more clear as well. Okay, uh, we have one more question. This is uh, from Eric Walden, a follow-up question. Thank you. So uh, Donovan has frequently referred to the environment as kind of like an AAU atmosphere, given that you guys are, you know, staying in the same hotel as other teams and other players. Joe kind of likened it to, you know, an international tournament for the same reason. Have you had any thoughts along those lines, just kind of the, the weirdness of constantly being around other teams, other players, other coaches all the time. Does that change what you do at all? Does that enhance the atmosphere at all? Well, I think both Donovan and Joe are right in that assessment. You know, we eat together as a team um, in a specific space. You know, the, the idea of, of players 
um, interacting and even just passing each other in the hallway um, is, is similar to, to what you have in AU situations or even a camp. Um, I do think that that environment will be impacted as we start the seeding games and certainly in the playoffs where um, it's just natural, you know, guys um, that have spent time hanging out, talking to each other when you get in a really competitive environment. Um, I don't think it'll be, you know, contentious at all. But I do think guys are going to, you know, not everybody's going to be saying hi when they walk by each other in the hall. And I think guys respect that about one another um, because they're competitors and, you know, people want to win and they'll approach that the same way. It's not to say it won't happen either. I, I think these guys, you know, they're so professional and, and understand how to be professional, you know, even in, in a competitive situation. There's Jazz head coach Quinn Snyder. When we come back, Cecil Hurt writes for the Tuscaloosa News, covers the Crimson Tide since 1982. His thoughts on BYU and Alabama in the opener, how much money Bama is making from football, their desire to play, and whether the governors in the South are going to rein the SEC in. We will talk with Cecil Hurt next. Take the zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of the zone as well as podcast editions of every show. From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo, wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280, The Zone, and The Zone Sports Network. DJ PK, it's 97.5 and 1280, The Zone. The football season bearing down on us. Is it going to happen? Are the colleges going to go into camps? We're getting right to that time, PK, where it's about time to find out. Schools are going to have players in, and they're going to start. Now, we've seen they're in for voluntary workouts and all that, but are they going to start getting to to the bigger groups and start going 11 v. 11 with coaches out there? And then we'll know the season is on the way. And, of course, the opener, the news breaking over the weekend, Bama needs someone to play because they're not playing USC. So will it be BYU? Cecil Hurt covers the Alabama Crimson Tide for the Tuscaloosa News since 1982. And he joins us now on the T-Mobile special guest line. T-Mobile and Sprint are coming together to build the best wireless company around. Visit T-Mobile.com for online services and local store availability. Cecil, good morning. Good morning. How are you guys? Good. So you've been covering the Crimson Tide for almost 40 years. And we're a few weeks out from the opener. You don't know who they're playing. You don't know if they're going to play playing. This has got to be the weirdest summer ever for you. It is for me. Um, you know, obviously, um, I guess 1943 was the last time you had this kind of uncertainty during the war. And so that's a indicates just what a, uh, uh, you know, I'm not making comparisons, but it indicates what a disruption it's been for college football. And the SEC, along with the ACC and the Big 12, they they really hadn't made any announcement on how they plan to schedule or what they plan to do. But as long as right now it's a 12-game schedule and Alabama needs that 12th opponent because USC has dropped off. Yeah, do you think that the SEC will go the way of the Big 10 and Pac-12 and just go with the conference only? Well, they hadn't made that decision yet. It would have been easy to to do if they had made their mind up. I think they want to maximize uh, games and revenue as much as possible. I think they'd like to um, 
play 12 and play a standard season, that may not be in their control. Basically, is not in their control. But to the extent that, that they control it, I think that they want to at least take as long as they can before they start um, diminishing the schedule in any way. So it's, it's going to be another week. I don't know if we're going to have another week's worth of data that's going to make a tremendous difference in the decision-making process, but I think that having the league's 14 athletic directors get on the same page uh, hadn't been an easy process. And so um, I I wouldn't be 100% confident that there'll be any kind of September 5th game, uh, but if there is a September 5th game, you have to have an opponent, and Alabama's been looking and been talking to teams and certainly been talking to Brigham Young. So when you say get all 14 on the same page, is there a split? Are there eight who want to play and six don't, or nine don't and five do? And if they don't get on the same page, could they do what the Colonial Athletic Association did and said, there's no league season, but if you want to go play an independent schedule and schedule whatever you can, knock yourself out? Yeah, I doubt that. There's way too much money involved in SEC football. You know, the the Colonial, you and I could uh, – go out to lunch on the Colonials' budget. Um, the SEC, Alabama's operating budget for athletics last year was $186 million. So it, it's a little bit a little bit different decision for the Colonial than it is for 14 ADs that are spending $150 million a year on athletics. That, that, that adds up pretty quick. So um, they'll, they'll get on the same page. It's more a situation of you have some schools in the SEC who have ACC rivals in their state, Clemson, South Carolina, Georgia, Georgia Tech, et cetera, Florida, Florida State. Um, that's a consideration. Uh, you have different governors in different states who may allow different things. Kentucky may say, we want to play, you know, we're gung-ho, and the governor of Kentucky may say, we're not going to have any public gatherings like that until – middle of September. So all of that has to be has to be worked out. And there's no guarantee that it can be worked out. The, the um, coronavirus numbers in this part of the country are not great. They're not great at the moment. And um, unless they see some stability in the, in the curve, unless they see, I, I don't think they're going to flatten it in the next five weeks, but unless they see some cause for optimism uh, it made the decision may be taken out of their hands completely by the government so if it's a go do you think BYU is the odds on favorite to play that game against Alabama or are there other teams well there are other teams that they've talked to they talked to Notre Dame uh, but Notre Dame has a scheduled game on September the 5th against Navy um, they talked to TCU they, they would probably and this I, I mean this respectfully but they'd Probably had a P5 opponent and would probably rather have a P5, but you know now you're down to three Power Five leagues, and it's hard to work out the schedule logistics. And don't know whether a team would need to come to Tuscaloosa. Um, there's there's stadium renovation underway, but Mike could work around that if they have a limited um, crowd size or, or no attendance at all. Um, you know, that, that might work. Um, they're probably not going to get the $6 million appearance fee they were going to get in Dallas for playing USC. But, <laughs> and to be perfectly honest about it, there's probably a 
coach or two that's got enough on his mind without saying, um, yeah, we'll open up with Alabama. So uh, BYU, I think, is willing to play and eager to play and looking for um, ways to fill in the, their schedule because, you know, a lot of their – young y'all know better than I do, but um looks like most of their September schedule has been erased. Um, so that would be a nationally televised game. Um, high profile, whether it was played here or – I don't know if Provo's off the table. I'd be surprised if Alabama came out there, but 2020 does surprising things. Cecil Hurd joining us. He covers the Alabama Crimson Tide uh, for uh, the Tuscaloosa News. He's been doing it since 1982. You know, there's there's a couple things about playing games that are reason to go to the conference-only model, aside from the health consideration. Set all that aside. Two things I've heard is, one, not every game is worth the same amount of money. So let's start there. Do you think there's some games, if Alabama's going to pare it down from 12 to 11, 10, 9, 8, are there some games, you know, pay, playing pay, playing a money game and paying someone to come in if you can't fill the stadium doesn't really seem to make sense. How big a factor is that? Well, they wouldn't pay the same. I mean, that'd have to be negotiated in terms of what guarantee, what kind of guarantee they would pay. Yeah. Um, so, and and they're already, as I said, you're six million in the hole from the start because that's what their appearance fee was going to be in Dallas. So. On the other hand, playing a game is better than not playing a game, regardless of what the revenue that it generates for the two teams might be. The, the second part of that that I would say is that some of the SEC's television package, which is relatively lucrative, they're in the process of renegotiating it. Their, their CBS deal is good, not great. It's not what it's going to be um, in the next couple of years whether it goes to ESPN or how that works. But um, but it, it involves having a 12-game schedule. Um, you know, there are tie-ins with other networks. There's an SEC network that needs programming. Um, so all of those things factor into it. So it's not just going to be a case where they're, they're going to look at it and say, well, we can get rid of these other games. We're just going to play conference games. Mm-hmm. Now, it may end up that way. It might end up that way. But that wouldn't be – the first choice if you were in a situation where you had choices. Do you you think that they would try to reschedule that SC game somewhere down the line, or is that done? Uh, I would doubt it because of the way their schedule is set up. I mean, uh, unless there are even more profound changes than we've already had, which is hard to imagine. Uh, They're scheduled out Power 5 through 2030. Um, they've got Texas home and home. They've got Ohio State home and home. They've got Notre Dame home and home. Um, so it would be hard. But they have Miami in a neutral site next year, and then they start they start the home and homes with Texas. Um, they've got Arizona. They've got Florida State. Uh, so I don't know that there's a spot uh, where USC would immediately fit in. Cecil Hurt joining us, writes for the Tuscaloosa News, covers the Crimson Tide. You know, you brought up an interesting point that there might not – it's hard for Alabama to get a season-opening game because a lot of teams maybe don't want to face Alabama because it's such a good chance that you could not only get beaten, but you could just get crushed. Uh, And I was reading a thing that one of the reasons to go to conference-only games was because there are coaches – and it was an anonymous quote, 
Of course it was. Uh, but the anonymous quote was, there are coaches, and we know these people are out there, you know they're out there, who when they see a tough road game coming, will go like, now nah, I got too many positives, we can't play. And so the Pac-12 and the Big Ten are going to establish some kind of norm, some kind of standard, which they haven't done yet, it's easier to say than do, to make sure that people aren't ducking out on a road game against a top 10 team when they're going to lose by four touchdowns. Uh, do you see that as being a factor, one thing they got to iron out in the SEC? I don't think it would be. I think, I think the culture here is such that teams want to play. Even, even Vanderbilt wants to play Alabama if that's what's on the schedule. Um, they're they're they understand what the what the line on that game would be, but I don't see I don't see Vandy or, or certainly don't see Mississippi State. Mike Leach ain't gonna duck anybody. <laughs> and then if you start that, suppose you've got a three game stretch of Alabama, LSU, and Georgia, you're just gonna claim positive the whole three weeks and <laughs> not play anybody. So I, I don't I I would hope that that wouldn't be. Um, I would hope the one thing that we can agree on and all do is that we need to be honest about the coronavirus data. Uh, we need to respond to it correctly, and it does not need to be manipulated for com- competitive advantage one way or the other. Either, either saying you've got more guys sick than you have or playing guys who've tested positive. Nick Shame is going to be 69 this season. How long do you think he's going to go? Well, um, that's a good question. I don't know what else you would do. I, you know, I think he's happier doing this than anything else. But I certainly can't speak for him and his family. And I'm sure this year has brought a, a real set of frustrations. But um, they, they've signed three, three – they've got commitments from three five-star players. They've they, – just got the number one offensive lineman in the country this week, so I'm sure he's assuring those guys that he'll be around to coach them. So, if this all falls apart, you mentioned Alabama with you know over 180 million dollars in the in the budget. Are they looking at dropping sports the way Stanford did? Could it could it get that bad? They have to find something. I'm not going to speak for what their decision making process would be or what you know they they may have reserves that would let them. Um, hold on for a year. They certainly have fundraising capabilities. If, um, if that was presented to, to certain donors that, that, hey, baseball's in trouble or, or um, women's volleyball is in trouble and we need X to, to keep it going one year. Uh, but you have, to, you have to tighten the belt somewhere. You have, to, you have to find where you can make cuts and account for that if, if um, your budget is Usually 180 million, and all of a sudden you only have, um, let's say, 60 million coming in for a year. Uh, that's a that's a huge shortfall, and that's just one hypothetical about the numbers. But that's one of the hypotheticals that could happen. How's Steve Sarkeesian doing? We heard some information about him as far as his health. He's still resting. He had um, heart surgery, had a stent put in. Um, you know, it's been a situation where where they hadn't been on the field with players and out in the heat and so forth. So he's been able to do uh, what work he can do. He's been able to do from home. Um, so that, I guess you look for the silver lining in everything. The, the timing 
uh, probably was, was a little better for him, although I'm sure it was scary for him as well. Um, in terms of, of job, though, it, it, it's probably as good a time as any for him to, to have a few weeks to recuperate, and um, then we'll see what he's able to do when they get more full. I mean, they're, they're back in a few more drills today, but and I don't think he'll be around. I don't think he'll be around anybody. Um, given the vulnerability to the virus uh, for, for for a while yet. You mentioned uh, that the schedule was built out for a few years. You know, for a long time, neutral games in NFL stadiums were a big deal, and BYU uh-huh. played a bunch of them, but now you're talking about all these home-and-home uh, deals going forward. What, what has led to the change? That seems like a big change of philosophy. What's the difference there? Um. I think the biggest difference, I think there's a variety. And first of all, I've always been a big advocate of home and home as part of the college football experience. I think it's it's great for Alabama to play in Columbus or Austin, um, South Bend. I think when you're talking about the programs that are at the very top of college football, I think they should be doing that. But also, when your skybox just start at $5 million donation, um, per per box, that's, that doesn't pay for your tickets. That's just your box. Um, people aren't want to take favorably just that skybox lease, that five million dollars skybox lease, and the big game is being played in Atlanta or Orlando. You know they want to see it. So I think that's been part of it is the, the change to ultra luxury uh, seating in a good bit of the stadium. Well, Cecil, we appreciate the time and all the perspective. Thanks for joining us. And if BYU sure, and Alabama, yeah, if BYU and Alabama end up playing, maybe we'll talk to you again in a few weeks. Could be announced any day. Um, they're, they're pretty well down the road with negotiations, I think. Cecil, thanks a lot. We appreciate it. Sure. Glad to do it. There's Cecil Hurt from the Tuscaloosa News. Uh, and uh, Subsequent to him joining us on the show yesterday, he wrote some stuff yesterday about Alabama and Auburn maybe playing twice, bookending the season early and late. I think there's a decent chance the SEC right now isn't looking at 12 games but might look at 10. Um, I have to see how that plays out. I, they probably have 8, 10, and 12-game models, honestly, anything to, uh, to keep the season going, what with their budgets and all that. All right, when we come back, Steve Cleveland, our basketball insider, next. Take the zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of the zone as well as podcast editions of every show. From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo, wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280, The Zone, and The Zone Sports Network. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280, The Zone. We are joined by Steve Cleveland. Our basketball, and now our life insider as well. Steve joins us on the T-Mobile special guest line. T-Mobile and Sprint are coming together to build the best wireless company around. Visit T-Mobile.com for online services and local store availability. Steve, good morning. Good morning. Steve, in the midst of everything going wrong in the world, I have turned into a hopeless optimist on one particular thing. And I may be proven wrong on this. We'll we'll know because we'll have the eyeball test and judge for ourselves. But I saw the Jazz canceling a practice opportunity. I'm thinking... Man, you're down in Disney World in the bubble, and you got all this time. 
And even if you had, uh, you know, some teams are more shorthanded than the Jazz. Even if you only had eight guys, you could do four on four. You could do something. And I'm thinking, they got all this practice time. They got three scrimmages. They got eight games. By the time we get the playoffs, I thought it was going to be maybe some iffy basketball. But I'm starting to think, this ought to be really pretty good quality basketball. I'm, I'm optimistic that this is going to look really good when they get to the playoffs. Am I right? Well, I, I, I'm optimistic as well. And, and, and the reason being is that there, there are little to no distractions. I mean, I think it seems like just looking, again, looking from afar and, and, and seeing all the activities they're involved in, it's like they haven't missed a step, the NBA, in terms of all the activities and different things that, that the guys can do. And I know it must be difficult being away from their families, their girlfriends, their wives, the whole deal. But uh, I think the thing that about being together – and there is a, is a togetherness, there's a unity together that uh, you can't create anywhere else. I mean, you can't create this home anywhere else in the world. And consequently, I think guys are really focused. They know the whole world's watching them. And it's an opportunity for the NBA to really take a step forward and do something really unique and really special. And there may be an asterisk around whoever ends up winning this thing. But I, I think it's, it just appears that everybody's kind of enjoying the experience and uh, it's it's more it's more of a united effort and in a unity deal where guys aren't just going home. You know, practice is over. They go home. They go home to their families. They go home by themselves. Whatever. I mean, they're living with each other full time, and that that enhances the culture. That enhances relationships. Guys, get, you know, they're kind of forced to get to know teammates that maybe they don't hang out with. You know, a lot of guys that are married. You know, practice is over. They get their their shots up. They're out of there. But now they're in a situation where they really got to depend on each other for everything that they do. And so I think it's a real positive thing. Uh, I kind of worried initially that after three or four weeks of this, they get bored, but they seem to really be finding things that uh, uh, keep their interest and uh, developing new relationships. And I, I think the basketball is going to be great. It's just going to be weird doing it, watching it without fans. Yeah, I think the key that you just said is that they know the world is going to be watching, and this is something that you've spent your entire adult world in. When they know people are going to be watching, whether when you're coaching at BYU or Fresno and you start to see the fans pile into this to the arenas, that the kids, in this case the college kids, they get, ex- they get excited. It's more than just a scrimmage. Even when you, you would do the, the Midnight Madness or whatever they call call it at BYU, the blue and white or whatever it was. Couldn't you sense a little bit more excitement when you had that first time and you did like an inter-squad scrimmage and you invited the public in to watch it versus when you did it alone? And I know there won't be any fans, but there'll be all sorts of media attention. So I'm expecting these guys to be jacked. I completely agree. And I think that you know, in a normal setting, when you've been grinding out practices and you're two-a-days and doing all the things that you do with practice, watching tons of film, and then it's that night before Midnight Madness, you know, everybody just has so much energy. It's so excited. And I, I think you're gonna, there's a parallel between this, these two situations. And they're not going to wear these guys out. They're, they're only in there for a short period of time. I think they've got maybe three weeks of practice. But you do kind of get bored with it. And, and you're doing the same things. So they've got to make coaches, the, the, the actual organizations themselves, have to provide different things to keep these guys' interest. Basketball is basketball. But more important maybe will be the relationships that are being developed here 
and the, the unity of teams that they've maybe never seen before because they're just not spending this much time with their teammates ever. And, and when a normal year, whatever we would call normal now these days, uh, in a normal season, they're not spending eight, nine, ten hours with your teammates. And I guess you could say, well, that could be a good thing or a bad thing. You know, I don't like these guys. But I think what's happened, because of the unity of, and, and for, a, for a lot of reasons, uh, I don't think the league will ever be more united than it is right now. I mean, every, it's, it's everybody on deck. This is what we're doing. And uh, it, it, it's going to really, in my mind, elevate the NBA even more so than they already are. And, and we've watched the NBA grow and develop and, and just be a, a great success story. Uh, this takes it to another level. And uh, I remember as a player, I remember as a coach, uh, the excitement and the energy that comes from playing games. Uh, and I, I think we're going to see a great product. And uh, it, it will be, you know, I don't know if they're going to have canned in noise or what they're going to do. Maybe it will be, we'll have an opportunity, kind of a unique situation. What fan wouldn't love to come to practice or to a scrimmage and listen to the interaction between players on the floor and the coaches? And, uh, you know, there may be uh, a little bit of censoring here and there, but for the most part, every fan would love to have an opportunity to come to a closed practice and watch coaches, watch players interact with each other and find out what goes on behind the scenes rather than just in a game setting. Well, yes, people would absolutely positively love that. Um, now, these guys are going to know that they're on, so even though it's closed, you know they know it's on TV, and they still get feedback from the fans. Maybe it would be different without social media, but they're going to know the world is watching because they're going to check the social media, and they're going to see it. Yeah, that, that, there's no question. There's checks and balances here. Right? Everybody's going to have to be a little more appropriate maybe than they've been. I mean, we, we've all been in practices where things get heated and things get competitive. and uh, I can't imagine, and I'm still not being a little bit of smack talk and, and uh, things said, uh, you know, the world is watching. They're going to have to be appropriate in their language. I'm sure there are going to be some mess-ups once in a while, but uh, I'm, I'm sure they've been tutored on this from uh, – from the commissioner down to the coaches that, listen, this is a – families are watching this, and <clears throat> we need to remember who we are and think, uh, take away from their competitiveness and, and uh, you know, the, the mental part of the game where you, you do talk to guys and you do kind of get into their head. I, I can't imagine that not being a part of this experience. If you're Quinn Snyder and his staff, how do you approach trying to replace Bogdanovich? You know, I, I've and the first thing that would come to my mind is this: is that it allows them to probably put more ball handlers on the floor. It allows them to play at a different tempo. Yes, they're, they're missing out on a really good shooter, but there's not a coach in the world that, whether it's at the beginning of the game or the end of the game, that you don't like to go small or be able to have four ball really good ball handlers on the floor. It makes it more difficult to defend. Uh, it just gives you versatility. I, I know that at the end of a lot of games that I coached, I went small because I could I, I put the best free throw shooters on the floor, put guys that can handle the ball, and uh, and we could switch everything. And I think you know defensively, it, it makes a, a big difference. Certainly, that's a big loss, and it's 20 points a night, but it gives other guys a chance to step up and play. And for me unless there's just a real significant issue defensively where you can't guard guys and it's bad matchups, I'd always rather go I'd always rather play small 
because there's just more versatility offensively. I can switch everything defensively, and there's uh, fewer decisions to be made on the court. It, it just kind of happens kind of organically. We know this is how we're going to play. We're going to switch everything one to four or, you know, whatever your schemes are. Uh, it makes it easier when you go small. I think it gives them a chance to have more ball handlers on the floor, more shooters on the floor, and uh, there's something comfortable about that. So one theory is that, uh, you know, this is going to be more for Jordan Clarkson. He's been really good with the second group. But, you know, when you're in a second group, you're usually out on the floor with a couple guys who, if they aren't non-scorers, they certainly aren't as good as scorers. So you get a real green light. When you're out there trying to fit in with four of the other best players on the team, many of whom are ball handlers and shooters, requires you to play different. You think Clarkson's a good fit for that role for the extra minutes, or does somebody else need to be the person that would be a better fit? Uh, that's a really good question. I, I think initially, uh, if I'm coaching that team, I want to see what it looks like with Jordan Clarkson with him. I mean, it's an experiment to a certain degree, and uh, I, I, I would rather take a look at that early on. Let's see what this looks like. Let's see if you know. Let's play two or three games this way uh, because. He, he does have the ability to really put up numbers or put them up quickly. And if it puts him in a situation, and you know what else it does? It makes Donovan Mitchell, um, not, not to say that we don't want, you know, that a coach wouldn't want him shooting more, but if Donovan Mitchell scoring four or five less points and has six or seven more assists, and Jordan Clarkson is averaging 18 or 19 points a game, they'd probably become a better team. And I'm not suggesting for a minute that Donovan Mitchell not be the guy and, and, and take big shots, but what what if he what if Donovan Mitchell can wear another hat more significantly than he has in the past and and really distribute the basketball, get guys going, hey, lay in the shot clock. I mean he or Jordan Clark Jordan Clarkson's good with the ball at the end of the shot clock. He's creative, but it's still Donovan Mitchell's team. But what about you know the role that he takes, where he's distributing, and uh, and, and no one's going to question when he takes a contested shot. No one's going to ever question him when he wants the ball in his hand late in the shot clock. But I like Jordan Clarkson. I, I think you got to make baskets. He's another guy that can make baskets, and and certainly defense kind of wins championships. But you know what? You get down by fifteen or twenty. Defense is not going to help you. Not not in that game. You got to have guys who can put the ball on the floor, score it. And I like Jordan Clarkson in that lineup. I, I would experiment with it early to see what it looks like. If it doesn't work, then go back to the norm and then figure out who you want to put into those slots. So I'm wondering with Mitchell, that's an interesting concept there. You know, he's been this scorer, and he's talked about how he wants to be a better passer. How hard is it to get to that level to have that good balance in terms of when to create for yourself and when to look for other guys? I think that what they do, you know, in practice, film sessions, one-on-one, I think Donovan Mitchell probably has a great relationship with his teammates, but I think that when you're watching film and you're looking, you know, he needs to be the guy. Look, see, you come off that screen. If you curl that thing and do this or do that, I can get the ball to you. And it, 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 he, he engages his teammates that way in film sessions. He engages them in practice when a guy maybe doesn't take the shot he should have taken. And, and that, that happens a lot with guys. You know, they go, well, I, you know, I wasn't sure. Well, if, you, if Donovan Mitchell is telling me, no, you've got to take that shot. That's your shot. 
when he hears that from the point guard, from the best player on the team, it instills confidence. And, and then Donovan can do so many things in terms of when guys are succeeding or not or whatever the circumstances are. But he's, he's, a, big, he's a big key here. I mean, we, they've looked at him. Everybody looks at him as an athletic scorer, and he's amazing. But really, for this team to get to the next level, his, his leadership uh, on and off the court is a big, big part of what this team's capacity is going to be. And I think he can really instill confidence by the little things you do off the court in film sessions, practice, just one-on-one, talking about things, or even watching film with your teammate with no coaches there. Hey, look, what can we do to get you open so we can create space to do this or do that or coming off ball screens, whatever the circumstance is. Uh, I, I think Donovan Mitchell's role, if, if the Jazz are going to be successful in this little stretch of two or three months, uh, he doesn't have to score 40 points a game. What he's got to do is get in this play, his team playing to its full capacity and full potential. And that's going to require he do things that he hasn't ever done before, that he's going to at times give the ball to a Jordan Clarkson late in the shot clock and with full confidence knowing he wants to take that shot. Now, we know what happens in games. If these guys aren't performing and all of a sudden shots aren't going down, he automatically already has the green light and he's going to have to do that. So some way, somehow, you, you've got to find a blend of both. And uh, but I think early on in these seven or eight games that they're going to play, why not experiment with different lineups and put the put shooters on the floor? And uh, you only got a guard for about twelve seconds anyway in the NBA. <laughs> By the time they push it up, shots are going up quick. I like the idea right now early on in this that uh, that Donovan Mitchell is wearing both hats equally as a scorer and a distributor and. Uh, you know, who knows what might happen. It, it's right now, uh, they need to be better than they are if, if they want to play late, late and deep into this tournament. And so it's one of those things that I, I would certainly, as a coach, be encouraging Donovan, talking to him about it. And if I was Donovan Mitchell, I'd be talking to my teammates about it as well. And I'm going to add a new role here. I want, I want to help us be better. I can help us be better by getting you the ball in positions where you like to score it. Let's talk more about that. Uh, everybody knows that his role late in the shot clock, if he's got the ball in his hands, probably going to do something with it. Well, who's going to, you know, who's going to get a double team? He's going to get doubled, and guys got to know that he's going to give it up. So I, I like it. I like going small. I mean, I, I'd rather have Bogdanovich there because you know he's eighteen twenty a night. And but that being said, even if Bogdanovich was there, you know, I would look for ways to play Bogdanovich at the four or five sometimes when you go small and just put as many shooters on the floor as you can. So, man, you got me thinking about a million things right there. Uh, One thing you said, if you think Donovan's game is at the point where he's just going to be doubled all the time, then doesn't that just scream Clarkson? Because there's going to be open shots. Oh, yeah. There's going to be open shots. And I think for good point guards especially early in games, rather than your best players taking the shots, let's get the, let's get the guys that, not that Jordan Carson doesn't have confidence. He's really confident, but I know at the collegiate level, <clears throat> sometimes it, it helped our team when the fourth leading scorer on the team got early shots and got their confidence, and we're looking for those guys off of sets or quick hitters. And so, <clears throat> excuse me, so it's one of those situations where 
early in a game when we're just feeling things out and trying to get a figure. That's that's kind of when you want to look for those guys. And uh, you know, all of a sudden, a couple of baskets go down, and there's some confidence there now. It's not a it's not at a critical crucial time in the game. You know, you don't want to play the whole game at the end of the game on. You know, I'm going to get it to, to DJ. Uh, you know, he hasn't had a shot in a while. No, you can't do that. That's when you start losing basketball games. But early on in games is when Donovan Mitchell should set the tone in terms of getting guys shots, uh, especially early in the shot clock. And if not, he still has the freedom to take it and finish it late in the shot clock. But the fewer contested shots, and it's hard in the NBA uh, to not have contested shots because there's not a lot of time. If you're taking three or four seconds to get it up, dead ball, something happens, ball out of bounds, you know, a lot of shots are contested. And that makes it more difficult for guys that aren't scorers, pure scorers that can shoot, make contested shots. But with other guys, they need open shots. And you get that by, you know, having the ball in your best player's hand and attacking or using ball screens. And if that guy's rolling or somebody's just curling over the top of the screen, you're looking for them early. I mean, anything you can do early to get off guys that, that maybe uh, aren't your best shooters, it makes your team better late because they've got more confidence. You think this now that this uh, discord between Gobert and Mitchell has been exposed a little bit, uh, you think of in, in a basketball sense they'll sort of be on their best behavior when the games resume? I can't imagine it not. Uh, I, I, honestly, I, I would lose some respect for both of them. Uh, if they can't put that and move on, you know, I mean, it, 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 it's it's time to move on. You're, they're big boys, and you don't have to love each other, and you don't have to go hang out and uh, at night and go to dinner together or whatever. I, I get that. I mean, that happens in every team. I mean, it doesn't matter whether guys like each other or not. They gravitate to people who they're comfortable with. Uh, I'm I'm fine with them not going to dinner together or hanging out and you know playing pickleball. That's fine, but. When it comes to the game, these are professionals, and they need to suck it up and put all that past Because if they don't, then it's not going to work, and it's probably the two of them aren't going to be teammates for a long time. Because if it doesn't work here and there's issues, then, then management's going to start taking a look and say, okay, one of these guys has got to go. You just can't have that. That, that kind of chemistry at this level, man, you ought to all be on the same page. And, and they've got good talent. But, you know, they're, they're not a team with, you know, three or four all-stars. They, they're successful when they play together and they have a great culture and there's chemistry and they move the ball, you know, and if all of a sudden you've, you've got uh, an environment where guys are chipping at each other and they're not getting along and, and they're not moved on from whatever the circumstance was, they'll never, they'll never ever reach their full potential as a team. So, uh, I would hope that they're both old enough, mature enough, and if not, that the coaching staff makes it really clear. Listen, you you got to put this away. You got to move on. Uh, we we can't be who we want to be. We can't be our best selves if we got a, a bad locker room. Steve, as always, we appreciate it. Thanks for a few minutes to talk hoops. And man, next week we'll be breaking down actual scrimmages. How about that? Yeah. That'll be cool. That'll be cool. Yeah, have a great week, guys. There's Steve Cleveland, our basketball insider. When we come back, what is trending? All the headlines.